Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the show. I just want to remind everyone that we have a Twitter account, at RealSpecific, where I will post updates and any memes and things that we produce. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please reach out to us at realspecificpod at gmail.com. Or drop by our anchor.fm page to leave us a voice message that can be added directly into the show. Thanks again, and enjoy. Oh my god, there's a follow-up to Penny Dreadful? Oh, I'm gonna have to talk about that. What is Penny Dreadful? It was a short-lived series. I don't know if it's a Netflix series, but I know I watched it on Netflix. It's the one where, like, all the mythical characters, like... Oh, fuck. Like Robin Hood? No, like, uh... Frankenstein, Dorian Gray, classic literary characters. Yeah, there you go. It's like a world filled with them, but they're all, you know mid-twenties to mid-thirties and attractive, and they're all fucking each other. Okay. Yeah. We talked about this back when I was running the Ildran game, because I watched all of Penny Dreadful and then completely forgot that I had watched it, read the description on Netflix, and started to watch it and got halfway through the first episode, and I was like, wait, I I watched this episode already. And so I started looking through all the other episodes and realized I had literally watched every episode and had no memory of it (laughs) at all God, it's that forgettable. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Doesn't sound very good. Special kind of show, man. But apparently, uh, in 2020... There's a new one called Penny Dreadful, colon, City of Angels. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it has Eva Green in it, and she's... Oh, she's hotness. She's hot. She has kind of like a, she's a psycho hot She's got crazy eyes. She has crazy eyes, yeah. Because her her eyes are gigantic, but she is smoking. Like, she would definitely stab you, but you would be okay with it? I'd definitely be okay with it. Oh, and did you see the uh, meme template I tweeted the other day? I did, but I don't remember, like, what it was it again? It's what I said I needed a meme of from California. Let me find it, because I remember, I remember seeing it. Oh, yes. <laughs> I do remember this. I, I looked, I watched it, but not with sound. Uh, oh, I, I just posted the video version of it, because that was easier than making a GIF. So. That's hilarious. God, that whole scene just didn't make any fucking sense. Like, why did you turn turn off the water? Like, I don't fucking know. Let's talk about California today. Yeah, let's just talk about that. <laughs> Scrap it. <laughs> California, round two. Oh, God. Uh, okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Real Specific. I'm Jake, here with my friend. Hey, I'm Klaus. And today on Real Specific, the podcast where we talk about very specific subsets of movies. We are still talking about Invading the Homes of the Disabled. Uh, last week was a very shitty movie about a blind girl having her house invaded on quote-unquote mischief night. This week, though, it's Don't Breathe 2016, directed by Fede Alvarez. So yeah, uh, we, we've started out today talking about things that are way more fun than this movie to me. Uh, I guess I have to mention, this is our first cursed episode. First time we were supposed to record it, 
Uh, I've been dealing with health issues, and I was feeling horrible that day, so we didn't do it. We put it off for a week. Uh, the next week, we got about 45 minutes into our recording, and my power cut off. So that recording was completely fucking ruined. And here we are again, third try. It has taken us a month to try and do this movie now. So uh, third try. It's the charm or so I hear. I'm sure we'll remember everything in precise detail and leave nothing out. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't have a brain made of Swiss cheese that can't remember names or times, dates, most things, actually. Um, Drugs and alcohol, kids. Stay away from them. (laughs) I don't know. This movie was fine. It just, it, it isn't good enough to stick through your mind. I know a lot of people have seen it, so I'm, for once, I don't really feel the need to mention spoilers or anything, and, you know, if, if you like it, good. Listen to us shit on it, I guess, because that's what I'm about to do. I, I don't know. Klaus, what did you think of it? I I don't watch a lot of horror. I've watched more horror in the last, since starting this podcast, uh, than in my entire life. So I, I, But I think this one was better made than some of the others we've watched so far um but also creepy af there's a lot of things that you'll point out in today's episode and that we've talked about in the cursed deleted files <laughs> um about references to other movies that i just like didn't know so it was interesting um there's some cool shots that i liked a lot so i mean there were some there were some good parts there's some pros um but there's also some cons too you want to just jump into it I just want to say it is nice being back into a more modern era of movies. We spent four weeks dealing with 60s and 70s. And, you know, seeing a modern day movie with a budget behind it is kind of nice and refreshing to get back to. Uh, Even after watching Mischief Night, Jesus Christ, I needed a movie with a budget. Because that that movie hurt me in so many ways. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, But yeah, this movie starts it opens up on this scene of a dude dragging the girl who we will find out eventually is the protagonist um that's a little confusing it takes a while to get there (laughs) takes a while to get there but it opens up on her being dragged down like a road in some halfway abandoned neighborhood and then it jump cuts to a bunch of teenagers and their friends and they're like robbing a house and that's where you see the 13 reasons guy um doing his face um that expression i i do want to say quickly i've given shit to other movies in the past about having cold opens because we can't start where the story starts we got to start with action or something interesting this one it actually works i I can't remember which movie it was i talked about this before it was probably mischief night but if, if your cold open works it works if it doesn't it doesn't and a lot of movies use them because they feel they have to this one, it's fine. It it did actually hook me in. I think it was supposed to tell me that I should care about Blondie more than the other characters, but I didn't necessarily... That didn't, like, work to it as much as it should have, I guess. It was better, you make a good point, than the cold opening for Mischief Night, which is just random characters that are never seen again. <laughs> just hilarious, thinking back on it. But yeah, then it jumps to the their robbing, and you are introduced to the rest of the gang, so to speak. Yeah, so th- this is how I'm going to refer to our main characters today. Uh, we have Blondie, which is blonde girl. Um, 
her the actress is named Jane Levy, and if you care. Uh, and then we have 13, is what I'm going to call him. If you've seen 13 Reasons Why, he's the main guy. He has that one face that he does, and that is his extent of acting. Uh, his real name's Dylan Minnette, if you need to look him up for whatever reason. And then we have Money, which is the actual character's name in this movie, um, which is why I remember it, uh, also known as Gangster Boyfriend. So, yeah. Other than that, it's just Blind Guy. But yeah, uh, they're they're robbing a house. Looks like a swanky downtown kind of place. And they're just like, Blondie is like taking rich people's clothes and putting them on. I don't even remember what 13 is doing in this. I know he disarms the, the security system. And after that, I don't really remember what he's doing other than just like walking around the house. Uh, gangster boyfriend is like jerking off or pissing all over the house. One of the two. You're muted. God damn it, we're so cursed. <laughs> this is the cursed episode. For those of you that don't know what just happened, Klaus's mic just cut off and everything stopped recording him. And So yeah, we're we're still fighting issues for some ungodly reason. Are we in a horror film? I always assume that I'm living a horror film one way or another, so yeah. I mean, this year, kind of everybody's living a horror film. <laughs> but how about this? Uh, side note. What about, I'm going to pitch you a movie, it's a horror film, and it starts with two guys, and they're making a podcast, and they keep watching horror films, because that's what they're reviewing, Mm -hmm. and then, I guess at some point, it starts happening to them. Mm. So, you you think one of us is going to become disabled? Oh, shit. I've been sick for over two months. I technically count as disabled right now. (laughs) Fuck, is someone, are are you going to invade my home? Is that that the twist for this movie? I think so, yeah. (laughs) I think so. It's like the ultimate, like... Horror, and then I record it on the podcast. I think that's how it's done. Yeah, I, I I don't know if a podcast makes a great movie, but that that is definitely a thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's a movie, but there's no actual film. It's just whole audio. It's, it, it's not found footage. It's found audio. <laughs> it's found audio. Yeah, there's only it's just blood black screen, and that's it. But at the end, it turns white, and so that's meaningful for a reason. Well, you see, the the white symbolizes the fact that I murdered whoever was breaking into my home and they are now an angel or something. I don't know. We we can find symbolism in there. <laughs> that plot was better than Mischief Night. I don't think it's better than this, this plot, though. I think this plot was actually better. Mr. Alvarez spent some time. He, he also co-wrote this movie. So, I mean, yeah, uh, he spent some time working on it. I'm not going to take that away from him. Oh, God. It's, it's mostly the... 13. That that kid. I, I can't stand him as an actor. I really don't want him in my horror movies because his shocked face is the same as his I'm thinking face, which is the same as his fuck you face. So there, there's just no difference. And it hurts. But yeah, to get back to this movie, this cursed movie that is cursing this episode, <laughs> the reckless teens are robbing them and it basically sets up this is their game plan. They go find some house with riches or money in it the 13 his dad works for a security agency so he's able to get the codes or the keys or whatever and is able to disable the alarm system they rob stuff and they go away and they're kind of just reckless kids or young adults going about their business doing that that's their setup and then we move into blondie's backstory time but during that whole break-in phase it kind of felt like 13 was the main character until we get here and it gets confusing 
we do the whole break-in thing, which is all three of them together. That's fine. But it's not focused on any of them. It's following each of them evenly. But it does follow 13 first, and then Gangster Boyfriend, and then Blondie. And then when they split up after the robbery, we see Gangster Boyfriend, or no, we see 13 first, and then Gangster Boyfriend, and then Blondie. So when you do that, you are subtly telling the audience, focus on 13, we're following him first. We get his backstory first. This is the person you should be following. But when you do get Blondie's backstory, it's much more robust. She is a more complete character because we see her, we immediately get an idea of her living conditions, which, like, we get that for 13 too. Like, it's probably just him and his dad. His dad's a security company guy, and he looks to be middle class, maybe middle upper, something like that. Doesn't necessarily need to be out robbing people. But we meet Blondie, and it's immediately she's in a shitty single-wide trailer. Her mom is a freaking scumbag who's dating a scumbag, and she has a little sister that she is trying to take care of, and she wants to get her out of all this badness. That's kind of where I was like, okay, wait, so is Blondie our main character, or is our love interest just more well-written than our main character? Because there are movies who try to keep their main character as kind of like a blank slate for the audience to project themselves on, but that's not what's happening here. It's very clearly Blondie is our main character, it's just we showed her third, so nobody is thinking of her as a main character. Probably because, you know, having a female protagonist is just something Fade wasn't ready to do. I wonder, and I have no idea if this, if it works this way or not. Like, I wonder if it's like a billing thing. You know, like someone's name is bigger and in the deal they have to be shown first or something. That's yeah. interesting. I have no idea if that's how movies work at all. I've never seen a movie. <laughs> well, and I will say, as far as IMDb goes... And I'm trying to look at the poster. Hold on. Uh, the poster doesn't even have the actor. Well, it does in the tiny, tiny script. But as far as IMDb goes, the billing is Stephen Lang, who plays the blind man, and then Jane Levy, who's Rocky or Blondie, and then Dylan Minnette, who's 13. They got the billing right. It's just the movie's edited wrong. Yeah. And I mean, she is on the cover, too. Mm -hmm. On the poster. She is on the poster. And she is okay. the first one we see being drug in the road. Like I said, I think it was supposed to tell us, hey, focus on her. But when all the other editing is in a bad order, it makes me focus on 13. So, But thir um, Blondie's backstory was good, like you said, kind of set up. She's in a bad, uh, bad upbringing or whatever. And, you know, she has motivation to get out of it. That's why she's stealing, not just for love or kicks or whatever it is. And she wants, you know, her sister wants to go live on the beach or something. And that sets up what happens at the end. So we, the next kind of thing we set up is they find out the gangster sells some of the goods they just robbed to another criminal. And this criminal's like, Hey, I got a lead. And the lead is this kind of more regular house and kind of a rundown, abandoned-ish neighborhood of this veteran, this ex-soldier, um, who apparently has like a ton of cash he got for some reason, a settlement or something, I don't know. But it's just a ton of just liquid cash that they can steal. And that kind of sets up the next mark 
for them to kind of stalk and watch and observe and eventually try to invade and steal that money. This supposedly substantial, like hundreds of thousands of dollars money from this house. So we do hear early on that he got a huge settlement because his daughter was hit by a car. His daughter died. He sued the family of the girl who hit his daughter and they had to pay a big settlement. I, you know, I'm, I'm not intimately accustomed to these kind of things, but I don't think you just get a briefcase full of money for these kind of settlements. I'm pretty sure you have to like give them a bank number so they can send it all to that. But for whatever reason, this guy just has hundreds of thousands of dollars in a safe in his house. So I get, you can't trust those banks. (laughs) They're just paper bags with walls, as they say. So yeah, I don't know. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, so it's weird that there's it's just in cash. <laughs> and then we get a little bit of, I don't know, character development seems like a strong phrase, for 13, <laughs> where he basically, he doesn't need this money. He doesn't need to invade, you know, a veteran soldier who was supposedly maybe a war hero and is probably definitely has guns and is going to be more dangerous than breaking into your usual house in an upscale neighborhood. And so he gets cold feet, doesn't really want to do it. And then his kind of character motivation is he's a simp for, for Blondie. He, he has thoughts <laughs> for, and he'll do whatever it takes to be her friend, I guess. Yeah, so Blondie is dating gangster boyfriend, but you got 13 over here like, but date me instead. And yeah, he's totally just driven by his wiener in the saddest way possible. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. It's it's really sad. But we, I, the one thing I did like about these like upcoming scenes was the they go to the town and they had like a GoPro set up across the street from the old man's house, and that's how they were kind of like casing the joint. Uh, I did like seeing that just because it, I, I like technology affecting how characters do their jobs. And this is one that a lot of people probably haven't thought about, but you can get a GoPro for fairly cheap, especially if you steal it from rich people, and you could then use that to commit crimes. So, you know, it's a good little touch. This is not an endorsement of crime. I mean, I won't openly say that you should steal from the rich and give to the poor, but, you know, just just keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah, they case the joint, they come up with a plan, and they basically find out this guy lives alone. He doesn't ever leave his house except to walk his dog. And his dog is a pit bull or Rottweiler. Big old Rottweiler. Insert big scary animal. Mm-hmm. And they're going to break in. I think it just, that's the next stage, right? I'm not missing a scene. We do get the but, or ladybug story time between Blondie and 13, which... I don't know. It, it's a way to get more backstory on Blondie. She, uh, 13 notices a, an unfinished tattoo on her arm, and she goes into this whole story about how her mom used to lock her in the trunk. One day, a ladybug crawled into the trunk with her, and the ladybug kept her company or something. I mean, it's it's a way to get more of the story that, yes, she was abused by her shitty mother, how that plays into her psyche and her feelings. But they try to act like this whole ladybug thing is like a huge motif for the character 
but it's not really there and it doesn't really pay off. There's no there's no like supernatural part to this movie, so it's not like the ladybug leads her in the right direction at any point in the movie or the ladybug somehow conveys a message to her or anything like that. It's just a thing that's here to have a thing. That's a good point. I think the only time it comes up again is like towards the end of the movie, there's a ladybug. But yeah. yeah, other than that, it's just kind of, it feels like this scene is just to set up that, that scene and that basic reinforcement of bad back, backstory, basically. And maybe someone can tell me better, maybe ladybugs have special meaning to abuse victims or something? I don't know. But let me just, uh, real quick. Ladybug symbolism. Lady, yeah. That's a good way to go about it. Lady luck, good fortune, maybe. Yeah, a ladybug is believed to be an embodiment of lady luck, bringing good fortune and prosperity along with it. As the insect leads a vibrant and colorful life, it influences you to experience the joys of living to the fullest. That's according to some bullshit from Pinterest. So, I trust it explicitly. Yeah, uh, sure. I mean, that that's probably exactly what Fede Alvarez did, was he googled bug or animal that means good luck. And Ladybug was at the top of the list, and he was like, yeah, let's do that. That's what I'm going to assume, at least. I looked up lucky animal, and number one is pig, and number two is beetles. Well, he was probably like, what's a less ugly beetle, you know? Exactly. Like, a ladybug <laughs> is a beetle. Yeah. So, <laughs> Pretty <yeah>. sure. <laughs> I mean, close enough. Um... I I don't know, man. Sure. Maybe one day we'll get like Jeff Corwin on the podcast <laughs> and he can uh, answer these animal questions. Oh, uh, here we go. And this comes from CaliforniaPsychics.com, so it has to be the truth. What does it mean when a ladybug crosses your path? It may indicate that you should spend more time with children, either your own or someone else's. I don't like that phrasing. Don't like that at all. The ladybug symbolizes luck, trust, adaptability, abundance, fulfilled wishes, and even past lives. Thank you, CaliforniaPsychics.com. Doing yeah. God's work. Doing God's work. Ooh, okay. Well, I just learned more about ladybugs than I ever needed to know. Um, oh, that was a weird tangent, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it makes more sense now, though. Like... If this is where Fede Alvarez is coming from with this whole thing, it makes more sense. If this isn't where he's coming from, I don't know what the fuck he was trying to do. Because th this is just my best guess at a thing that doesn't pay off in any way. So Ladybug story and tangent out of the way. It's now the night time. It's the night times. And they're going to invade and um, steal the monies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> with, uh, with no... No understanding of what the inside of the house is like. No understanding of where the money is stored. We're just going to break in at night while the guy's in his home, probably asleep, and assume that we'll find the money just laying around. And also definitely armed. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know he's a war vet. For having a casing the joint scene in it, they sure did not seem to be prepared. <laughs> yeah. Which, the, they're stupid teenagers. So, or I Granted. guess they're teenagers. We never see them at school. We just assume they're teenagers because they are younger looking people. I mean, number one, you know this guy is armed. I'm not bringing in 
the end getting shot. That's that bad. Wait till he walks the dog. Do it then. But then you wouldn't have a movie. Fair enough. Okay. Mm-hmm. But like certainly you see all the bars and stuff on the window from 30 feet away or 40 or whatever on your GoPro. Um, but it, it doesn't matter because when they get up to the door, you know, uh, 13 has the codes, but codes don't break iron bars. Well, the security company is supposed to have a key on file for the house, which he has stolen from his dad's collection of keys. They get there and there's like, instead of just the one lock, there's like five locks. And, well, we don't have keys for all the others, so gotta look for another door. They do drug the dog, so they take care of the dog, which, you know, good job for them. They're smart. Can't get in the back door because, once again, multiple locks. Can't get in the cellar because cellar door has a big old padlock on it. So Blondie's got to shimmy her little tiny ass up through a window in the bathroom. Yeah, and so one of the few windows, I guess there's two, we'll find out. There's <laughs> this randomly two. I get this one not having bars because it's a very tiny window. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, she climbs up, gets through, and is moving through the house. She breaks the glass. She gets up there, tries to open it, can't because it's locked or whatever, breaks the glass, which is just frightening <laughs> that you would do that when <laughs> breaking into places, but whatever. She does it, and um, there is that nice moment of like the glass is everywhere. She steps on it. It's stuck to her shoe, and it's clicking everywhere as she basically walks through the house downstairs to let the rest of everybody in. And you have really nice shots as they're entering of the layout of the house. This is my maybe my favorite part of the film is this shot or set of shots. It's, it's pretty dang good. It's played as like kind of a fake one shot type of thing. And you know it's fake because it starts going through walls and shit, which can only be done with CGI and stuff. Reminds me a lot of Panic Room. Which I actually went and rewatched Panic Room because after seeing this movie, I was like, oh, I want to watch a good home invasion movie. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool. You get to see layout of the downstairs. You start going through walls and you're going through like the empty space between walls and between floors of the house. And then you're taken into the blind guy's bedroom. You're shown that he's like asleep in bed with the TV on and pan under his bed and you see where he's got a pistol stashed so you know you get a lot of information you get a good look at like tools up on the wall you get a lot of information here a lot of locked doors i like to you know it it maybe isn't an actual continuous shot but it feels like one they do a good job at it and they also do this thing where every time they move into a room and there's, you know, the, the kids are looking at stuff and rummaging through things and they'll always zoom into something. They'll zoom in on the gun or you'll see a string and you're like, is that a bell? And then they'll zoom in just long enough for you to kind of recognize it and then pan away. And they're highlighting things that are going to come up later. And it's very obvious that's what they're doing, but I think it's done well enough to where it doesn't feel... You know, sometimes it can feel like a video game where it's like, ooh, look at the sparkly chest, and it feels lame and out of place. And But this is done well to where it's highlighting the things without overdoing it. I don't know why this works and it doesn't work in other movies. I think it works well because the camera is constantly moving. You know, it's like following a character down a hallway and then it'll veer off from the character and zoom in on the wall of tools and then it'll zoom right back out and then continue down the hall to another room. And I think that constant movement, it allows you to take everything in and then the zooms kind of give you a breath to like 
process everything you've seen, but also to emphasize the thing you're looking at. So I do, I do think it's done really well. That makes sense. You're kind of like seeing it and highlighted, but because it doesn't stop, it doesn't give you long enough to be for it to feel suspended in time. So, okay, that's right. cool. So they're looking around at this point, trying to figure out where the money is. I think this is the step where they try to basically gas the old man and knock him out. So gangster boyfriend sneaks up there, has a bottle of chemicals, pours them together, mixes them, and a gas starts coming out. There's a brief moment of uh, suspense where the old man kind of sits up in bed and kind of halfway wakes up um, before the gas is set off. And he kind of goes, turns off the TV and then goes to sleep. Boyfriend backs out and joins the rest downstairs. Um, At which point they're looking for the money and they think it's in this heavily locked door leading into the basement. Yeah, so we get the shot of the door with extra locks, including a little flip latch with a padlock over it. And this is where we get to my first big problem with this movie, which is Gangster Boyfriend pulls out a pistol, everybody's uncomfortable with it, and 13's about to bolt. And Blondie's just like, fuck it, let's do this. He holds a plas- empty plastic bottle up to the pistol and shoots the lock out. I know when we first tried to record this, you mentioned you did a little research on whether this would be effective or not. I very briefly Googled it and basically found like it could help a little. Obviously only once, because at that point the bottle's broken after the first shot. But not very much. Um, so it could be something you could that could help a little, but it isn't going to be as effective, obviously, as a suppressor. Yeah, so I will say, like, right before we started recording today, I googled it, and a YouTube video popped up of some gun YouTube channel testing whether or not this would be effective. And I'll, I'll be honest, the sound between the first shot, which was just, you know, open, regular shot... And then the last shot, which they used different sizes of bottles and worked their way all the way up to a gallon milk jug. The milk jug actually does a good job of muffling the sound. Like, you can still hear it's a gunshot and, you know, you can tell what it is, but it is much quieter. In an open area, it could probably help disguise where the shot came from, but it's not going to, you know, completely silence it or anything. Which is why I have a big problem with this movie Anytime there's a loud noise, they change the sound. They Instead of having the natural sound of how it would be if you were actually in the room, they do this, like, weird thing where you don't actually hear what's happening. And I feel like when you're dealing with a blind person and you know that their sense of hearing is probably heightened, as it normally is in movies, making the audience not hear what that person is hearing is a really cheap way to get around question the whole question coming from the audience of being like, how did that guy not hear this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's something that I think this film could have really benefited from. You know, obviously there's some talented people in there because that shot was really good. And this, I think it really could have benefited from a totally different soundscape um, and really leaning into what's the word you call it? Like not ambient noise, but not covering things up with music and stuff. Just like the using diegetic what's actually, noise. 
Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Could have really benefited from using that, that sound and maybe even amplifying it a little bit and making us suspenseful and using that. Did they hear that or not? Is he fully unconscious from the gas yet or not? And, and using that to their advantage instead of just kind of brushing it under the rug, so to speak. Yeah. It, it felt like a deliberate attempt to hide things from the audience and it takes me out of the movie. Like, when I'm watching a gunshot on screen, but I can't hear the gunshot on screen, it loses a lot of its effect. It felt cheap, it felt wrong, and it took me out of the movie. Yeah, like, there's there's scenes later where, just as an example, like, how cool would it have been if they kind of maybe deadened a lot of the sound and then amplified, like, the sound of breathing or the sound of, like foots shuffling when she's hiding in the closet and he's like three feet away from her and it would really raise the suspense level up because she's trying to muffle breathing it's in the title or even better have have those background noises like the central heating and air running like you know like when when she's trying to be really quiet because she's standing just a couple feet away from him you need to hear that ambient noise of like a fan running or any fucking thing you know boards creaking across the other side of the house whatever but we rarely if ever get that kind of stuff and it it kind of sucks yeah i think it would have really made the movie better i mean there's the obvious with the plastic bottle suppressor maybe it helps a little bit there's the that whole issue of how good is it going to work at least the guy's supposedly gassed right now so there's reason he maybe wouldn't hear it um you know neighbors it seems like an abandoned neighborhood for the most part so that's a you know that's covered there there's the other kind of realistic issue of this is dumb don't shoot a bullet at a metal object that can ricochet it's very john wayne and cool but it isn't practical through a bottle that you're holding with your hand at the end of a gun. So if the gun's pointed at the wrong angle, you just blew your own finger off. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of the meme. Have you seen it? It's like from Counter-Strike or something. Is this the Russian guy? He's like, you see Ivan. And he's holding a pistol, but he's holding his animation is like he's holding a rifle. So he yeah. has his left hand just out in the air. Uh, <laughs> if you shoot like this, you never shoot the inaccurate for fear of shooting your own fingers. And it's exactly like that. It's very true. I mean, that's how all the Russians learn how to shoot. So <laughs> That's true. That's why many Russians don't have fingers. That's <laughs> probably not true. I don't know. It could be. Sorry, but not sorry, Russia. <laughs> So then we do get, while everybody's bitching and yelling at each other about going into the closet or whatever, Blind Guy does show up. He's very clearly awake, and he's trying to figure out what the fuck's happening in his living room. Yes. Yeah, after there's lots of fussing about the gun, and 13 threatens to leave, and he even kind of walks out, I think, for a little bit. 13 leaves. He straight up gets out of there. Yeah, he's gone. He's leaving. No scent, no more, he says. (laughs) And then says psych like two minutes later. But yeah, blind guy comes down and he's kind of half drugged and drowsy or whatever. And he's looking around and everyone gets obviously really quiet. And I forgot exactly how this goes, but I think the blind guy is like walking around. He steps on something and he realizes it's, you know, the piece of metal that's the padlock that's been broken. Realizes what it is and now realizes there's something going on. He quickly rushes to the door and closes it because it's cracked open at this point. And this is really interesting. We'll find out later, but at least up until this moment, in my perspective, this guy was a victim. You know, we'll find out later that isn't 
the case at all, but up until this moment, at least, he's just a war veteran that is being, his house is being broken into. A little bit later in the movie, it'll start to feel kind of like character involvement whiplash, because, you know, at the beginning, we think we're following 13, and as the movie goes on, you figure out, oh, I should be paying attention to Blondie, but at this point in the movie, I'm paying attention to Blind Guy, because he's just a poor old man whose daughter died, and now people are trying to steal his fucking money. Exactly. You know, at least Blind Guy's a fucking badass, because we get to see him fucking disarm gangster boyfriend and slam him up against the wall. <laughs> Blind guy now realizes there's someone in the house, and ever you know the teenagers or kids realize this. Gangster boyfriend starts saying, "Hey, man, I'm." You know, he starts lying and saying, "Hey, I'm drunk, wandered in here. You know, let me leave, and it's all good." Um, and the blind guy just kind of slowly puts his hand up and is walking towards him. And gangster boyfriend doesn't have the balls to actually pull the trigger on him. And like you said, blind guy grabs him. Put their arms up against the wall. There's lots of clicking and clacking, oh, reminding God. you there is a gun. I got to talk about this. I almost wanted to skip it because I spent way too much time talking about it the first time we tried to record this. But I have to talk about it because it's one of my biggest pet peeves in film in general, which is I'm waving a gun around. Therefore, it has to make clicking noises. So you know that I'm waving a gun around. Guns don't make noise unless you manipulate them in such a way that they should make noise. Semi-automatic pistol, if you pull the slide back and cock it, if there's a bullet already in the chamber, a bullet will come out, and a new one will be loaded. If it, there's nothing in the chamber, it'll just rack one into the chamber. But he's already shot it once, so there's no reason to rack the slide. There's already a bullet there. But for whatever reason, we're getting cocking noises, we're getting... I don't know what the fuck noises we're getting out of this gun, just fucking ghost noises from waving it around. So everybody knows he has a gun. It, it bothers the fucking shit out of me. Every movie does it. I've even seen movies of, like, a character carrying a double-barrel shotgun, and you'll hear a pump action noise for no fucking reason. I mean, shit like that just drives me insane. It is a strange, like, uh, a movie tactic. You know, if you're aware of what... Of you know, the the sounds that they're trying to use, it doesn't make any sense at all. But I guess the it just holds up this illusion that there's a gun there. I it seems weird. It seems to work for I guess most people if you're not familiar with those things, but uh it is weird and unnecessary. I, I grew up hunting and I still love to go shoot targets and stuff every once in a while. Like I'm a I'm a gun person. So it bothers me. But I understand that most people are not gun people, and they probably don't see any problems with it. So, you know, keep doing you, Hollywood. Fuck Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but the first kill is amazing. Like, I think they actually do a crazy good job. I love the angle. I love the slow-mo. Like, it feels shocking. Like, I was not expecting it to end this way. Because they're they're fighting and it feels like they get into like a stalemate almost. And then the gangster's like, please let me live, you know. And because the soldier now at this point disarmed him and has the gun to the guy's uh, head. And gangster's like, please let me live. I'll, you know, I'll just leave. It'll be fine. And soldier seems to kind of back off. And then just suddenly goes yeah, into his finishing shove, move. Shoves the barrel right under his chin and pulls the trigger. It, it's pretty glorious, the slow-mo shot. The only thing I didn't like about it was, once again, the sound cuts out. 
I would have liked to have heard the gun go off and then have that nice splatter noise as his brains hit the wall. But, you know, whatever. It, it was pretty nice looking. Blondie immediately freaks out and cowers back into a closet and just kind of curls into a ball. Meanwhile, old dude's just punching a wall. He's all pissed off that he had to kill an intruder. So. Girls in the closet. Um, she's singing R. Kelly, and he's bad. And uh, the old man is running around the house, walking around the house, locking up and making sure no one's been in the basement and his money's safe while Gangster's dead. 13 is now trapped back in the house because he came back in. Um, and Butterfly Girl Blondie is trapped in the closet as he's kind of locking down. Yeah, we get some important information here. First off, he runs to the closet, checks his safe, which is hidden in a hole in the wall, and Blondie sees where the safe is and sees the code to open it. Then, blind guy's walking down the hall, he steps on some of the glass and realizes that the window in the bathroom is broken, so he runs and grabs some plywood and starts nailing up over the window. Also, while he's doing that, he magically smells everyone's shoes that they took off and left by the door. Once again, well shit, I, I keep feel like I'm recovering things, and that's because we already covered this the first time we tried to record and it's throwing me off. Sorry. This introduces his heightened sense of smell, quote-unquote, but that, like, never comes up again, even though he's walking within inches of these people a lot of times, and he can smell the shoes on the ground just sitting there, but he doesn't smell the people's feet when they're standing right beside him, or sweat, anything. Yeah, it was it was really weird, because at first when he's doing all this, we kind of see him... He's right, basically in the closet right next to Blondie and doesn't know she's there. And then he's banging the plywood to cover up the bathroom window when 13 is like hiding under the sink, basically a, a foot or so away from him and walks right past him down the hallway. And so when this is happening, I'm like, oh, this is going to be cool. Like I was kind of hoping to see a bunch of these scenes throughout the movie where like, you know, this guy's adapted and his senses have, he's adapted to using his other symptoms better, but he's not a mythic or supernatural ability, which I thought was cool. But it, then there's these inconsistent moments sprinkled in where he suddenly is able to do these things on a supernatural or near supernatural level because of the plot needs him to be able to, um, which is disappointing. Once again, if they hadn't have pointed out his sense of smell with the boots, this wouldn't bother me at all. But when you highlight that and then it doesn't pay off any other time, then what the fuck is it there for? This is the only time it does it. And it's, and it's disappointing because it so easily could have been avoided. He could have easily just tripped over him. Exactly. You know, he's going to make sure the door's locked, steps on a shoe, and he's like, oh shit, here's the shoe. Uh, mission accomplished. Think, same thing without having to make him have supernatural smell, but only once. Exactly. And uh, the other weird thing is that when he's banging, I think is when he's in the bathroom closing putting plywood over the window 13's phone vibrates or something it's at some point during this scene it's like dude you're breaking in and you got your phone on vibrate yeah you don't have that shit on silent bro go completely silent or just turn it off like it, yeah you probably don't want fucking geolocation tracking while you're breaking into people's houses because i'm pretty sure they could use that shit against you later i get that they're supposed to be reckless dumb kids but come on he's supposed to be our smart character out of the three uh, 
he's going around basically locking the house. He now realizes there's other people that he's probably are still locked in there with him. And Blondie and 13 kind of meet back up. You have that cool moment that you kind of went over where Blondie gets the important information, but it doesn't feel like bullshit. Yeah, it's it accidental, felt, but it felt natural enough. Like I'll give them that. That point worked pretty well. And while Thirteen's trying to find her and get her out of the house, she's immediately just like, "No, we're here. We're gonna at least get the fucking money," and pulls it out and puts it in a bag. So you know, good for her. She she just watched her boyfriend die, but she's still a money hungry bitch. So that's fun. I like it. We kind of went over this before. Whenever there's a horror or pastime in the cursed annals of <laughs> cursory, uh, whenever you're, there's a horror movie and it's set in semi-modern times, modern enough to have cell phones and shit, you always have to get around it. And some, you know, it's always, sometimes it's a cheesy way. And sometimes you just kind of say, ah, it's, you know, if they have a reasonable reason, good. You know, the, the, the bar isn't super high on getting rid of technology. So a lot of them do the signals bad, you know, stuff like that. This one has an interesting method because of the setup of the plot, which I love it because rarely is it like plot driven that keeps the technology at bay. But here the plot of we are doing something illegal, breaking into someone's house means they can't call the cops unless something is very dire later in the movie. But at this moment, that's one thing that's preventing them from using their cell phones to call for support, which I really like because usually, like I said, it's the cell phone ran out of batteries or the signal or whatever. So I like that this is one, a different way of getting rid of technology. It's certainly better than Mischief Night, that's for fucking sure, because where there you had phones randomly dying phones disappearing, phones falling and breaking, and then having bad signal on top of it. Yeah, that was a whole fucked up mess. This, they have reasons not to call the cops, and even in a little bit when they think they have reasons to call the cops, like, at that point it's just too late. Yeah, she now has the code, and they think it's in the basement, because that's where all its locks are, and so they then decide to go down the the basement. No, no, they've got all the money. Um, they're trying to figure out a way to get out. That's right. And the problem being is that blind guy is between them and the doors. They can't get all the locks off of all the doors. The only way they can think of is the cellar door that leads to the backyard. That is a possible way of getting out. So we're going to try and go through the cellar and get out. And this this is where we're introduced to this guy's really fucking weird cellar where you walk into a little closet and there's a ladder that goes straight down into the cellar. Never seen that in my life. So the whole time I'm just thinking like, wait, is this a real shelter uh, cellar or did he like dig this out himself? as like a secret bunker shelter thing or yeah even then you'd think there'd at least be normal stairs down and then he expanded or something i got the feeling that he either there wasn't a cellar at all and he made it from scratch or there was a small one that he expanded it's still a weird like it's interesting like i kind of like it it's like oh this is cool but it doesn't really come up like there's no there's no point where they're chasing and having to climb the ladder fast enough or anything like that. What I was expecting was him to trap them down there by pulling the ladder up. That's what I was yeah. expecting, but that never happens either. And the ladder looks like it's pretty much fastened in place somehow. I don't know. It's a weird touch. <laughs> yeah, it was weird and like and not weird necessarily in a bad way. Like I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting, but just nothing. Once again, it's something that's there that pays off in no way whatsoever. 
Yeah, it could have been stairs and the movie wouldn't have been different at all. Exactly. So fine, whatever. They go down into the the basement and here is the moment where it's revealed this uh, innocent war veteran that's blind and he's the victim is not so innocent after all. Turns out he's a real bastard. (laughs) Yeah, uh, we are introduced to Girl in the Basement, which uh, is a fun horror movie trope. But I never saw it coming in this one, that's for sure. Just got some girl tied up in the basement, and our characters quickly figure out that it is the girl who ran over and killed Blind Guy's daughter, however long ago that was. So yeah, that that's weird and creepy, and finally, I have a reason to be on the side of the shitty thieves instead of the poor old blind man. Yes. So yeah, they come down, you reveal the victim veteran is actually the monster um you're now on the side of the thieves you see blind girl who's like duct tape over her mouth or whatever it is she's in like a straight jacket um she can stand up but she's in a like a uh, it's kind of like a padded room but there's one wall is missing basically and she her straight jacket is tied to a rope and as soon as she gets up and is like mumming with her mouth saying hey free me please you random people. The string is tied to upstairs where that bell that we briefly zoomed in on on the cool shot. Yeah, introducing the layout of the house. Mm-hmm. Dings. Soldier guy knows someone's in the basement probably and starts heading that way. And these people free the girl and are trying to find their way out and try to get out of the cellar. They basically decide, like, he's way worse than we are. We got to get her out of here. Thirteen is kind of on the fence about it. Blondie's like, fuck you, we're getting her out. They start making their way toward the cellar door that leads to the backyard, only to be met by Blind Guy, who's got a gun held out in front of him. I'm, I'm sorry, but a blind man shooting pistols is just funny. There's there's two things. You know, there's earlier in the film when before Gangster Boyfriend is, is killed, there's moments where little sounds happen, the floor creaks or something, or something's dropped, and he shoots at it, and like he has decent aim but not perfect. Uh, which I love because it's like this guy's clearly dangerous with this thing, but he's not an insurmountable supernatural entity. Um, there's they, they have a chance against him. It's, it's not like he's Daredevil or anything. <laughs> right, he's not Daredevil. He's proficient. Like if, if you make a yeah. noise, he will shoot in your direction and will probably get closer, hit you. <laughs> but it's not going to be a headshot every time. The second thing that he does, which is not supernatural, but like heading there, is it seems several times in the film when the that people are trying to get out or move from one area to the next, you think he's going to come from one way. You think he's going to come down the ladder and come from that area. And the people are looking over their shoulders as they're trying to get the lock open to the cellar to escape. And he, multiple times in this movie, turns up exactly where they're trying to exit from. They open up the cellar door, see blind man there. The girl that was captured and is now has the mouthpiece removed screams and he shoots in her direction um goes past the ear of i think 13 yeah eclipses ear yeah clips 13's ear and then shoots over there they start running and i think this is where the power goes out blind man comes in closes the door yeah so as far as like him popping up in front of them a lot like this is a very famous trope throughout movies like peppy Le Pew or jason from the Friday 13th series, they don't have to run. They just 
keep moving at a steady pace and end up cutting off your characters one way or another. Very common trope. Michael Myers, yeah. It makes sense for this one because he's built this house to be a prison. So it kind of makes sense. He knows the ways people could get out and where they can't get out. That way he knows how to cut them off. So I'm fine with it in this one. Doesn't need a supernatural bend to it to make sense. That's fine. Uh, Him shooting through down into the cellar. And killing the girl that he's had captive for however long, we don't know. Oops. And then he's all pissed off that he killed her. And it's like, you probably should have weighed that option considering you're blind and you're just firing at noise. That was a good possibility of what could happen. (laughs) Thirteen and Blondie are running back into the cellar trying to get back to the house. When Blind Man quickly steps inside and cuts the power off to the whole house using the darkness to his advantage. And, I mean, we get really good shots. Oh, when he cuts out the lights, everything goes pitch black in the shot, and then it slowly fades up to kind of this infrared look. It keeps in your mind that it is pitch black right now for your characters, but allows the audience to see everything that's going on, It's a good stylistic choice, and I think it worked really, really well. Other movies I've seen that have tried stuff, it's been like, you know, we'll actually just show a completely black frame, because that's kind of interesting, just being able to hear what's happening without actually seeing it. Kind of interesting, but not as engaging. Or you can do the whole, we're still gonna light it so you can see everything, but our characters are gonna act as if it's pitch black, which can work but a lot of times doesn't because usually a character's going to tip off one way or another that they actually can see. (laughs) This was a nice way of doing it. You don't have some ugly green infrared filter over it. Stylistically, it looks good and it plays well. I don't know if the actors were actually in pitch black or not. I have a feeling they weren't, but they played it well enough to where I didn't think they were just pretending to be fumbling around. Meanwhile, you have Blind Guy who knows the layout of this house perfect, And he is, like, almost sprinting through all these tight corners and shelves and everything without touching anything he doesn't want to. Yeah, and and I did really appreciate that those few scenes that he's moving very quickly, you know, running through the basement and everything. You know, he doesn't bang into anything he doesn't want to, and he clearly, like, holds his hand out to the side, hits something, knows that's when he turns, holds his other hand up and waits till he hits the rafters, then he knows he's in this other area. Um, He clearly, and it's a good way to show off you know, this guy isn't supernatural. He just knows his house very well. Yep. And you're in his domain. Where preparation meets opportunity. That's yeah. his entire thing. So at this point, they're basically 13 and Blondie are trying to run through the house. Soldiers basically trying to chase them. They get split up at this point And Blondie ends up... I, I think the dog comes in at this point And Blondie ends up in the, the... Whatever that area is. The pipes? The floor space? I don't know what it is. The dog gets reintroduced. They both run upstairs. And they end up in a room that looks as if it was Blind Guy's daughter's room. I, I remember just uh, the few moments right before what you're about to go into. They like kind of meet back up they're upstairs again they're going towards the front door because they're because they're going to leave that door's been locked they're going to like try to 
hit the alarm to sound the security alarm if they can get close enough. And then the dog's down the hallway and starts chasing them and don't, doesn't give them a chance to do that. They head upstairs and then continue. They're in this room. It looks like it's Blind Guy's daughter's room, dead daughter's room. They barricade the door. Blind Guy and the dog are out the door. They're trying to knock it down. They're looking for a way out and they both look at each other and they're like, oh, all the windows have bars on them. We're not going to be able to go anywhere. And then Blondie notices a big air vent up in the corner of the room. She's like, I can fit my narrow ass in there. And he's like, do it. I'll take the bullet for you or whatever. Simp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Simp, simp, simp. And by the time she gets in there, blind guy gets the door open. Dog comes after 13. And 13 just like magically falls through one of these quote-unquote barred windows. Clearly this one wasn't barred because he doesn't hit bars on the way out. Bars don't fall off the house. There's just nothing there except for a window. Why did we just say all the windows were barred if they're not all barred? Jesus Christ, filmmakers. It literally happened within 10 seconds of each other. And it's another moment where it would have been a little unrealistic in this sense, but it's just another example of you could have kept the consistency in your film and not like by simply having bars there that came off the the wall or something they were rusty like that's more believable than someone saying there's no they all have windows and then they're just one immediately not that happens blind guy starts to run downstairs but dog trying to chase blondie into the vents i believe yes i think that's what happened and this is really where i started getting kicked in the head with the people under the stairs references <laughs> um if you haven't seen people under the stairs it's a really fun kind of comedy horror movie but it has focuses around this huge mansion which has all these hidden spaces between walls and everything like that. And there's a very funny scene of a Rottweiler chasing people inside the walls trying to get at them. And this that's all I could think of while I was watching this was, okay, it's a not-as-good version of people under the stairs. Cool. Oh, yeah, and Blondie falls and gets knocked yeah. unconscious. <laughs> um, yeah, Blondie jumps into this weird crawl space that's between the the ground floor and the second floor. Uh, there's a cool like epiphany shot. I don't know what it's actually called, but where like the middle zooms, but the peripheral like zooms out while the middle zooming in. So it's called a dolly zoom. You'll everyone will know what I'm talking about if you don't already know that term. When say you're looking down a hall and the shot is focused on a person or something at the end of the hall, everything gets closer, but the person or whatever is in the center of the shot, stays focused and is still the idea of the shot while everything else kind of looks like it moves around them and either closes in or opens up around them. That's that's the camera dollying either toward them and zooming out at the same time or dollying away from them and zooming in at the same time. It's not super common. It's more common now because it's easier to pull off with the technology we have. If you notice it once, you'll notice it a lot more in other movies. I'll tell you that. It's very disorienting and it kind of gives the sense of like movement and I don't know exactly how to explain it, but it suddenly makes this crawl space that maybe actually isn't that long. It gives you the audience this sense of 
maybe fear or disorientation. Because if you've ever had to crawl in a crawl space or any sort of confined dark area like that, it's freaky as hell. And so this shot, the dolly shot, thank you for, I did not know the name of it, kind of gives the audience that sense of fuck. <laughs> Uh, this is bad. It gives you a sense of that claustrophobia while also making that crawl seem even farther than it should. So, yeah, it, it's a it's a nice little trick, especially for this shot right here. But yeah, she, like you said, she kind of goes in there, the dog's chasing her. She falls down, um, up, the shaft further hits something, and there's a moment where both her and... She falls down there, 13 falls out the window, and there's a moment where it seems like they are both knocked out for an unde I don't know how long, an undetermined amount of time. Could be just a minute or two, could be longer before they kind of both come to. Yeah, and I, I kind of enjoyed the shot of 13. I forget the fact that there were supposed to be bars on that window, you know, whatever, forget that. He falls out the window and lands on this glass, like, uh, I forget what you call these, like sun Yeah, like a ceiling, yeah, sun room. Yeah, it, instead of roof being there, it's just a big old pane of glass so that you can get some nice natural light in your house. So he lands on one of those, and he's, like, knocked out, I guess, because five or six foot fall onto his head was really hard. Yeah, skylight. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> he passes out there, and then the glass starts to give way just as he's waking up, and he falls through the glass back into the house, so I guess that's just fate telling him, fuck you, you can't get out of here that easy. Did, um, am I remembering it right that blind guy shot at him, but hit the glass instead of him, and that's what helped, like, precipitate the skylight fully breaking, or am I hallucinating that? Uh. It's been a while. I don't I... remember that. Yeah, it's been weeks since we watched this movie, folks. And, like, I watched it twice, but honestly, the second time I was a little checked out. Yeah, I I don't I don't think so. I think it just breaks under his weight, but I could be wrong. I don't know. He falls is what matters. He falls down there. He's back in the house. Fucking great. <laughs> the guy comes down. I think he's out of ammo at this point, or, or he may have just a few bullets left. And I think this is where there's a physical confrontation between blind guy and 13 in the like the tool room I, I remember 13 somehow got a hold of the gun again but it's out of bullets he runs to the tool room and he grabs a hammer blind guy comes after him they have a little scuffle i think he hits him with the hammer or something like that and manages to get away but he immediately drops the hammer like oh i'll never need this again won't won't be any trouble from here on out. I also know at some point during all of this, he locks the dog in the tool room to get rid of the dog. Yeah, I think, and the order may be out of order because it's been a while, but I think they have their scuffle. 13 gets downed. I think at this, in my mind, in the audience's mind, or at least for me, I thought 13's dead. He's gone. He's gone. He's dead. Um, yeah. And blind guy gets out. And he goes downstairs because Blondie fell down the shaft into the basement again. So he finds her. I think she awakes and he's already like put her in the straitjacket. She's already tied up in the same weird system that he had other girl tied up in. Um, and you find out some really fucked up shit here where he wants basically wants his daughter back. That obviously can't happen. Uh, Resurrection, I think, is a fifth level spell and he doesn't have access to it. So... <laughs> um, that's a D&D &D reference. So he's not going to be able to do that. 
Um, but he has other methods. He should be like uh, some kind of warrior oracle at this point because he gave up his sight. So he should have some magic powers to go with that. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> would have been more fun and a lot less depressing and gross than what this is. Yeah. So. And so he basically is going to explains that he, the other girl was pregnant and he's going to use this girl so he can have a kid. And he's basically like, chill out for nine months. I'm going to have my kid. Then you can go in his fucked up mind. And still blaming Blondie for the death of the first girl that he had kidnapped and taken hostage and impregnated. And that he shot. Yeah, that he that shot. he shot. So yeah, so he has his little, his turkey baster or whatever that he's going to use. Because, quote unquote, I'm not a rapist. Yeah. But I'm going to take this turkey baster and shove it inside you. So this is a real fucked up scene and I'm glad that it doesn't last too long. Cause that then that's when 13 turns out he's not dead. He's making the face and he has a hammer and he hits, he hits blind guy. There's a brief, there, there's a little tussle, but you know, blind guy has been hit with a hammer and doesn't take too many hits after that. 13 undoes or freeze Blondie. They handcuff him or something to his own prison and basically are getting ready to run. When they're faced with kind of the decision point of, do we call the cops? Because this guy's clearly like a fucked up monster, you know, gangster boyfriend's dead. Do we call the cops? At which point they probably won't, we probably won't get in too much trouble. They'll probably overlook the break-in. Uh, considering this guy's a monster, but we definitely won't be able to keep the money. And turns out it wasn't a couple hundred thousand. It was like a million plus, or we can take the money and leave this guy. And it's kind of the plot sets up and even the blind man kind of supports it with some of his words that you can do both. You can do one or the other, but you can't do both. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just trying to remind myself of how 13 dies. <laughs> we haven't actually seen the film. <laughs> We're just guessing. We're so full of shit. Okay, yeah, here it is. Okay, so they're about to get out the front door, finally. And Blind Guy comes out of the cellar and shoots 13 in the back. And then he makes the face, but with an open mouth, at Blondie. And Blondie's like, fuck it, and runs. So, <laughs> that's how that happens. We never see how Blind Guy got out of the handcuffs or anything. He just does, because that's his right, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. He has the keys on him, I guess. I don't know. IDK. But yeah, that's what happens. He shoots him. And then Blondie gets out. She runs out into the street. Blind guy kind of steps out onto the porch. And she's basically like, fuck you, you dummy. You're useless out here. I'm free. You know, you can't see me. Well, she still has a gun. So like, not a smart move on her part, but whatever. Um, she has a point. You know, once you get so far away, he's not that accurate with it. Um, and then the dog comes out. So she makes it back to the car. But she doesn't have the keys because the keys are on gangster boyfriend's body. Fucking Cujo runs up. So now we gotta have Cujo references of people being stuck in a car while big, angry, slobbery dog is hitting the windows and everything. I'll give Blondie this, though. She's pretty damn smart. She figures out a way to open up the trunk and trap the dog in there. So that was fun. But it's it's all for naught. Because now blind guy can hear where she is and he comes and gets her anyway. This is where we finally loop back around to our cold opener of blind guy dragging Blondie by the hair through the fucking street. 
I do like the the car scene because she shows she has some intelligence. And I think it might be referencing, you know, the whole backstory of I was stuck in a trunk. You know, you adapted, adopted the trunk. I was born in it, raised in it, molded by the trunk. And she uses her trunk expertise and proficiency to uh, trap the dog. But then, like you said, it doesn't matter because as soon as she does that, she has a little victory and then blind guy's right there. That is a decent callback. I, I appreciate that. But it... It's very quick, it's very short, and overall means nothing. She gets back to the house, finally remembers that, oh yeah, I have the key fob thing that'll make the alarm system go off. She sets off the alarm system, the alarm's all loud and shit, so blind man can't use his ears anymore, and he can't figure out where she is, and she just like... What does she do? She just like beats the shit out of him, if I'm remembering correctly? Oh, she just runs. She like grabs the money and runs. She does something to him because he ends up in the ambulance at the end. Oh no no no! You're right. You're right. Like she's in the they're in the den or whatever when the alarm gets off. He starts shooting randomly because he can't really. She doesn't know where she is. She hits him with something. She has a melee weapon or a pipe or something. Mm-hmm. Hits him a few times. Eventually knocks him down or out. Grabs the money and then runs. And basically, then we have the closing scenes of her escaping to paradise. Yeah, so she she has the money. Her and her kid sister are moving off to California, just like she promised. At the airport, she sees a news bulletin talking about the guy's house being broken into and how he is in stable condition recovering at the hospital. And that's all of that. Yeah, and it's that, that last few things, because when she leaves, she again has that other, that, uh, that choice kind of presented again, where it's, I can... St- stick around and wait for the cops to show up and make sure they know about everything that's going on and he'll get in trouble. I won't be able to keep the money or I keep the money and I go get my sister and get out of here. But this creepy monster, horrible man, maybe will get away with it. When I first saw that news thing, when she's in the airport with her sister going to California or wherever, at first my instinct was like, oh, like, because it's typical fashion for them to be like, oh, and the monster, the bad guy escaped or was let out of prison or whatever and they're still out and about but i think it was really more about that choice and the consequence because the news story was like this innocent veteran had his house broken into and he's uh, he's okay don't worry everyone this innocent man is alive and well you know and and nothing of valuable was was stolen um he reports so it's all good and well so it was less about this monster still on the loose and more about this is you're gonna have to live with this yeah you know you and your kid sister are free but you're gonna have to live with this on your conscience yeah he's he's calling back to the old deal of I won't squeal on you if you don't squeal on me, and that makes you complicit. Uh, I I do like this ending. The longer I've sat with it, I've liked it a little less, but because of the way the movie is framed, I'm fine with it. You're having to side with someone who clearly breaks the rules, and in general, you wouldn't like these kinds of people, but because you know her story... You know where she's coming from. You know she's trying to get out of a bad situation. You can find yourself siding with her, especially when her quote-unquote victim is also a complete asshole. So it works. Uh, it, It makes sense that her and the old man kind of both get off, but ultimately it's her decisions that allow that to happen. It's fine. It's not a great ending. It's 
definitely not the worst it could have been, though. I I agree. I mean, it because she had a good motivation of wanting to get her and her sister out of that bad situation, she goes from, you know, thief that we normally wouldn't like to we kind of like her. It, the ending would not have worked the same way if it was 13 that it survived because his motivation was pussy (laughs) or maybe love like at best it was love at best but considering it probably wasn't considering he didn't know much about blondie's backstory until like i don't know an hour before they broke into this guy's house i highly doubt it was actual love and more of just uh i want to get in them yoga pants yeah so it would have been different if he or like a gangster you know if he was the one that survived it would not have been the same kind of ending so i think it i think it worked I, I did definitely like that it wasn't, you know, the nurse news story was not about this monster still in the loose. It was more about her choice. Um, I thought that was interesting. Overall, like, what do you think? This is a weird one because there's a lot of good mixed in with a lot of shit, in my opinion. And I understand why a lot of people like this movie, but for me, there's just too many things detracting from it for me to give it, like, an outstanding score. Or It's also not super memorable like you you remember the twists and the turns but the things in between are not that memorable i mean you heard how many times we stammered through this thing trying to remember what happened next where did they go after this that's because it's just not that great and not all that clear overall i think i'm gonna give this a 6.5 it's above average for a movie with a budget and with real actors and everything a seven is about as low as you want to go on my scale. Like, that's that's a decent movie. It's not groundbreaking, but it's solid, and it does what it needs to do. This one, I feel like it just failed on a few too many things for me to give it a full seven. How about you? It's similar, similar. I, especially compared to Mischief Night, it was definitely, a, a, I would put it in the decent category. I think what disappointed me most is that there were a few little simple, easy changes that would have bumped it up. And that there was some things like the soundscape that would have taken admittedly more effort that could have really elevated this film beyond decent, okay, and into a recommendable or, or I don't know, acclaimed or whatever. <laughs> it could have made it a really great movie because there were some great shots. There's a few mistakes that could have easily been rectified. And if they had gotten the sound right and incorporated that better, I think it really would have been great or closer to great. Um, but right now, I think it was just kind of okay. I, I think my problems with the sound alone is taking off like a full point, maybe even a point and a half, because it was just so poorly handled. And then when you combine that with the other parts of the script that is just the movie shooting itself in its own foot, it's really hard to look past that stuff for me. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it feels like shooting itself in the foot is a great term, because it if they had corrected a few things and done a good job on a few other areas, it really could have been something that I think would have been really good. Um, and their mistakes were just kind of simple, not even little mistakes, but just like, why? come on, guys, like one read through could have corrected this that brought it down. So, yeah. I, I'm I'm where you are with that. What do you think about it, like in the subgenre, though, of compared to Mischief Night? What do you think is going to compare to the other movies in this very real specific, we'll say, <laughs> genre? Uh, this was an interesting one. I, I'm not sure if I corrected myself in the last episode. I know I said it wrong at the end of our Civil War Spaghetti Western series, 
Our movie breakdown this month contains three blind people and one deaf person. This is our second blind person, and for some reason I feel like... Eh, no, I'm not going to say that. I was about to say Mischief Night treated it better, but I, I'm just wrong in that statement. I just really want to be mean to Don't Breathe right now, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Mis Mischief Night is fucking horrible. We're not going to use that as a comparison on any of these other movies, because it doesn't deserve it. Don't Breathe is solid. It plays... I like that it takes the home invasion trope and it kind of flips it on its head with, A, you're siding with who would normally be the bad guys in this situation, and B, we're going to add in the abduction slash rapist by proxy angle with the blind guy. It's weird, and I think that's why a lot of people are tricked into liking this movie more than they should, because it does play with tropes and kind of flips things on its head to where it's different than other things you've seen a hundred times, which is nice, but it doesn't, it doesn't execute it well enough. I'm ready for our next two movies because the next one I've seen multiple times. The last one I haven't seen yet, but it is supposed to be held in very high acclaim. So I'm ready. I'm sure we'll see some of these things played with in the future. So we'll have better comparisons coming up in the next couple of weeks. As far as this movie and Home Invasion goes, pretty solid. I will say this movie seems to borrow a lot from Panic Room, and I'm not sure if Panic Room also borrowed from other stuff, probably, because when you start playing with this subgenre, there's not a whole lot of ways to go. But similar to Panic Room, we have three bad guys breaking into the house, the person who's in the house trying to protect themselves and their property. The only big difference is that you're actually rooting for the people being invaded in Panic Room, whereas this one, once again, you kind of flip that around and you're rooting for the thieves. It's weird. It's fun. I'm ready for better movies. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. And I think it'll be interesting to see the other movies because the cool thing about this subgenre is playing with those senses. Um, it seems like every time these last two films we've talked about, okay, what level, you know, whoever has altered senses, to what level are they altered? You know, how bad is their blindness or deafness? And consequently, their other senses, have they been heightened? Is it kind of a natural level of heightened or a supernatural level and kind of playing with that and the consistency for each film. You know, Mischief Night, you know, I don't think was super consistent. This was better. I'm really hoping these next films really focus in on it. You know, whatever those senses are that are either deprived or enhanced, I hope they're one, consistent, and two, I hope they're a focus of the film because otherwise, what's the point? And on top of that, it's also seeing how the person has adapted right? In Mischief Night, we see her using her phone a lot and how she talks at her phone and her phone talks back at her. Other than that, we didn't really see much of how she's adapted to this lifestyle. <laughs> like, she's just grabbing shit out of the freezer all willy-nilly, does everything perfect on the first try. You know, there's not much characterization there. This one was much better in the fact that we get to see he knows his house perfect. He is running around this motherfucker with reckless abandon. He knows exactly where everything is. When he steps on something, he not only can tell what it was, but he can he knows why it's out of place and how far out of place it is. Seeing that adaptation of someone going from being, you know, a perfectly abled person to a disabled person and how they have molded their lives around that disability, it, it's very interesting to see. 
And I know for a fact next week we'll get more of that. Looking forward to it. So next week we're diving in, continuing with invading the homes of the disabled with Hush 2016, directed by Mike Flanagan. I like this movie a lot, not to give too much away. If you haven't seen it, please go watch it. It is fantastic. It is on Netflix. It was... It's not a Netflix original. It was almost an indie film. Not really indie, because it's produced by Blumhouse. But it was put out at South by Southwest. And then Netflix was like, hey, we'll pick that up and put it on our platform. So, really, really good for them. Not a super high budget. Only a million dollar budget on Hush. Ooh, speaking of, I'm sorry to throw this in late. But I have to know, what is the budget for... Don't breathe. I gotta know that now. Whoo! 9.9 million estimated budget for Don't Breathe. I'm gonna bet a lot of that went toward the CGI that they needed in order to do, like, that fake one-shot when they're showing around the house. And then I'm betting these actors weren't the cheapest. I'm sure they didn't get paid a fuckload with only a $9.9 million budget, but a couple of them have a little bit of name recognition, so... Yeah, and face recognition, for sure. So, yeah, cut that budget down to one-tenth, and uh, we'll we'll see how much better they handle it. All right, I, anything else from you, Klaus? I think that's it for me. No, I think that's it. We'll catch him next time. All right. Have fun, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye.